my mother, uh, her great-grandfather was a good fiddler, apparently. And so the story she always told about him, she would tap the straws on the porch, on the fiddle. And one story she always told about him was uh, he played the fiddle just for pleasure, you know, just for his own entertainment. And all the relatives, the kids and everybody just kept begging him to go enter in the contest. And uh, he didn't really want to do that. And he, he'd kind of just say, no, 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 no. They, they kept bugging him so much. He finally entered a contest. And according to my mother, her name is Jewel Dean uh, Cannon before, and she became a Jones, uh, was he, he did enter the contest and he actually won first prize and he never played a note again. He put the money in a chest under the bed and said to use it to lay him to rest. Welcome to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. I'm Joe McHugh, and this is part two of my interview with Carl Jones and Erin Marshall. In part one, I talked with Erin about her life and her music. Here in part two, I learned about Carl's childhood, an enduring passion for what is called old-time music. Well, my name is Carl Clifford Jones, and uh, I was named after my father's father. And the funny thing, just right off the bat, just thinking about that is... uh, his real name was Carswell Battle or something. He had changed his name. I didn't realize it until many years passed. But uh, I'm Carl Clifford, and uh, I like that fine. And um, as far as music goes and where I was born, I was born in Macon, Georgia. Didn't really spend much time there because my father traveled. And uh, But his uh, parents, and you know, we went back for holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and things. So I'd see his parents. Uh, and um, Did they play? Well, it's funny. That's, that's a sad story, really, because I don't know much details of this. But uh, as far as I knew, while I was struggling to learn to play, my father's father never said anything about music. But uh, as he uh, he passed away, and as Granny, we always called my my father's mother just Granny, and uh, my daughter's named after her, Christine, and uh, that's her middle name. And uh, anyway, as Granny was getting, she was quite independent up until her ninety. She was very strong and she would you know still do a garden and till the garden and stuff till you know so she pretty much passed away she was really a strong person all her life and lived in her own place and um but she was talking about uh just sitting around when she was kind of pretty far along and not doing so well but sitting in her rocker there uh, she said oh carl he could play anything and i said uh what did you say granny she said oh he could play anything i said are you what are you talking about uh, music and she said yeah, he he courted me on a portable keyboard. I said, wait a minute, say that again? What? He courted me on a portable keyboard. He could play every instrument. She said the kids would bring him different instruments just to see if he could learn it. He'd have it figured out in a matter of no time. And I was just totally flabbergasted. I couldn't, still can't believe it to this day. But uh, apparently, and I don't know what the story, there's a story, a, a huge story, because he never imparted anything about music to me other than just abstaining from commenting at all. And he saw me struggling to play guitar and things. So I wonder what the story is, but there's one out there in the cosmos that I'd love to know. He just never did uh, share anything musical, but apparently he was a great musician early early on when he courted, you know, my grandmother. So go figure. I did try to write a song one time much later on called Get to Know Your Folks as a result of that because there are so many stories out there that you don't, you know, about your relatives, your your parents even, 
you need to ask the questions while they're still around. And uh, but you got to catch them on the right time when they will impart, you know, the answer. And and uh, I never did uh, ask my granddaddy the question. Probably, you know, just never knew. My father one time astonished me by picking up the guitar, just walked through the room and played a C chord. And I never knew he could play a chord whatsoever. So what are you, I couldn't, that, another one of those must say, what are you, what is going on? Anyway, so so my, uh, just another story, we're talking about the fiddle here that comes to mind. My mother, uh, her great-grandfather was a good fiddler, apparently. And so the story she always told about him, she would tap the straws on the porch, on the fiddle. And one story she always told about him was uh, he played the fiddle just for pleasure, you know, just for his own entertainment. And all the relatives, the kids and everybody just kept begging him to go enter in the contest. And uh, he didn't really want to do that. And he, he'd kind of just say, no, 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 no. They, they kept bugging him so much. He finally entered a contest. And according to my mother, her name is Jewel Dean uh, Cannon before, and she became a Jones, uh, was he, he did enter the contest and he actually won first prize and he never played a note again. He put the money in a chest under the bed and said to use it to lay him to rest. So what a strange, you know, story that is. So that always just, you know, made me feel, had mixed feelings about the fiddle, <laughs> you might say, from that moment on. But I was drawn to it because it was in, you know, definitely in my blood somewhere there. And uh, later on, much later on, I was in college, really, before I started trying to play the fiddle. Because I'd go to fiddler's conventions. I was in a, ended up being in a bluegrass band. Had picked up a mandolin on the way to college. And this little uh, orientation program had a bluegrass band playing. And uh, their mandolin player was leaving that very, that was his last gig. And they found out I had a mandolin. And I was hired, you know, for the next weekend gig and knew nothing about the mandolin. But uh, the banjo player, a guy, Scooter Muse, became a good buddy, and I ended up playing that band for about seven years. And he went to all the fiddlers' conventions, you know, in Clarksville, Tennessee, and Athens, Alabama. And so I heard, I'd hear, like, Mike Seeger in the banjo competition and stuff like that, and great fiddlers. There was a guy named David Molk, M-O-L-K, who was quite a, amazing. He would play like Piney Woods Gal with the harmonica and the fiddle, you know, one person doing that in, you know, it was a recording of two instruments, two people, two players. He would do both parts, you know, together. He had a harmonica rack and uh, he was, he was way ahead of his time because he was drinking Perrier water way before people were doing that. So he had a, a lead up on a lot of things. But uh, anyway, as far as the, uh, really being drawn to those fiddlers competitions, you know, I didn't really want to enter that much, but I heard a lot of great fiddling. And what really made me want to play the fiddle myself was hearing James Bryan playing with Norman and Nancy Blake. And that was about uh, in the 70s when I, when I was in college. And so I heard him play, and I heard they did they would do Uncle Dave making song and just beautiful, uh, you know, kind of some Irishy kind of tunes. and just, just But his fiddle style was so stately and beautiful. I was just drawn to try to play the fiddle more and more. And I'd bug James. I'd see him at a festival one year. Next year I'd go back and say, James, I, I heard you play this. Does it go a little something like this? And he'd kind of feel sorry for me, I think, say, well, that's almost it. It's not quite right, you know. And he'd show me, and I'd say, okay. Next year, okay, I think I got it now, James. <laughs> so really, by, it was almost a pestering technique. You know, he felt he, would, he was really nice, and, and uh, we became good buddies in the long run and ended up playing with Norman and Nancy and James many years later in the 80s. Give me a little background on him, just a little bit, who well, he James, was and where he was from. Yeah. Well, James, uh, James was born in Boaz, Alabama, I believe, and I don't, I don't know much about James. I mean, I've spent a lot of time with him. He's not one to impart a lot of knowledge about himself. But uh, he was quite a good fiddler. Uh, he played with the uh, Rural Yarborough and the Dixie Men when he was in college in uh, Alabama there. 
And he's from Sand Mountain, but uh, Rural Yarbor had a music store in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And I'd go in there a lot. He had all the, he was a bluegrass banjo guy, mainly. He'd work on, but he'd work on uh, Jesse McReynolds' mandolin and all these great instruments. So a great place to go hang out. And there was a barber shop next door, you know, adjacent. And Al Lester was the fiddling barber next door. And he had Vassar Clemens and people coming through. Jake Landers, a great bluegrass songwriter. So it was a great little hub just to go hang out and see who was in town, passing through or buy, you know, buy a nice record. I think I bought a, uh, I'm living in Virginia now, in Galax, Virginia, and I bought a 1940s, it's called, uh, what's it called? Uh, Old Virginia Fiddlers, I think it's a county record, but it's 1940s Virginia fiddle tunes. And it's funny, I bought that record way back then, and now I'm living in Virginia and and playing those very tunes, you know, the way Babe Spangler was one of the fiddlers, and pretty crazy world, how it all interconnects and, and takes its own time, kind of almost on geographic time, it seems like some of these things where they loop back around and you say, oh yeah, I, I do like that tune, or I know that tune, or I knew that person. But anyway, uh, the fiddling though, so I just love playing square dances and things later on, trying to play second fiddle with James. But James was a hero of mine, really, you know, really made me want to play the fiddle. And uh, a buddy of James's and mine, uh, really, when I first, again, back to the college days, when I first went to college, I really another little uh, impetus for wanting to play old time and bluegrass was uh, Dr. Bill Foster, English professor at the University of North Alabama where I went to college. And he and his brother had a little bluegrass duo. They'd do the Dreadful Snake and all those kind of songs, you know, classics with a guitar and a banjo and, and good stage humor, you know, funny stuff. And, you know, he had a big guffaw he'd do in between after his joke. He'd laugh. He was the best laugher at his own jokes, you know, <laughs> which is nothing wrong with that. But uh, it was noticeable, you might say. But Bill was a good guy, and his nephew was Tom Jackson. And so he'd be visiting Bill, and he was a great clawhammer banjo player. So he's the one I first really made me want to play clawhammer banjo. So there's a lot of a lot of things kind of happening at the same time there. Started going to bluegrass and old time festivals and conventions, and just uh, Scooter Muse really was the, the main guy who just he just drugged me to all that stuff at first. I didn't know nothing about it till college really. I mean, my mother loved Hank Williams, the Grand Ole Opry, and she would bang on the piano and do, uh, you know, she might do uh, she loved Stephen Foster songs, you know. But what just the first fiddle I ever got comes back to Atlanta, Georgia. I went into a pawn shop. I was working with my father's, uh, he worked in the linen service for 50 years, National Linen Service. And so all the boys, I've got three brothers, we'd all get a job in the summer working for the linen service, driving a truck or running a route or whatever. So I had, you know, making some, I mean, it wasn't much money, but it made some pretty good money for what I'd made before. And so I said, I'm going to get me a fiddle. So I went down to a pawn shop in Atlanta. And uh, I knew nothing about fiddles. And, and looking back, I always sort of rue the day I didn't know more about the fiddles because I go, the guy says, oh, yeah, I go in the back room. He had a table full of probably 50 fiddles. I mean, just laying everywhere, cases and fiddles. And uh, I said, how much are your fiddles? He says, my fiddles are $30. And I knew nothing about fiddles. So I picked out probably the worst fiddle, a Sears Roebuck in a plastic case. I don't know why <laughs> to this day I picked that fiddle out. But, uh, man, I could have had, I'm sure I could have had a good one. Because he had, I mean, he had a lot of them, and they were all 30 bucks. That's a long time ago. But anyway, what can you do? So I got that one and learned on that a little bit. But I later got a, uh, when I started playing a bluegrass band with Scooter Muse, the guy I mentioned earlier, uh, this lady had a, uh, she was, uh, her husband, she was actually divorced. She had a, a fiddle, her grandfather's fiddle, in the closet. And uh, Scooter says, She's got a fiddle up there. I think she might want to sell it, or you might could talk her out of it, you know. And so I asked her about it, and uh, it was a nice French fiddle, the one I have still to this day. 
And uh, she says, well, I don't, I don't know if I can sell it, but I'll, I'll ask my mother about it. She'd be the one to have to say if she could sell it or not. And so I'd call her, and you know, we played it. We, we were there playing a little back, a pool party kind of thing, playing bluegrass. So um, she said, well, just call me back and I, or check back, you know. And so I'd, I'd call her about every week and say, yeah, I was just checking if you asked about that fiddle yet. She never said, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm sorry, I forgot. About three months went by. And finally says, I did finally ask her about that fiddle. And she said, if you just pay for the, we got an old grandfather's clock and he's work, you know, fixing. If you just maybe pay me the price of the, whatever that repair is, we'll just go with that. And I said, sounds good. And it ended up being 75 bucks. So I got a fiddle and a little, a pretty nice little bow and a case that had a Yale sticker on it. <laughs> Yale, you know, the college Yale, Y-A-L-E. So I still have that fiddle. It's a great, just a nice old French fiddle. Nothing too fancy, but good for me. I love this. It's got a nice low sound to it, you know, so. Do you think that's it, better that you have to go after, you have to persist to get something like that? Yeah, you don't know why sometimes you have a hankering, you know, and it grows without you even realizing, oh, yeah, I got to call her again. Let me see and uh, yeah, I was got more and more determined to get that fiddle. It's kind of funny, you know. But it was nice. She didn't. It was just in her closet, been there for a long time. So, you know how many things are in. You know, there's so many things in closets. Back to my great my great grandfather. You know that story where he just quit playing. I still that still is a perplexing thing to me that he just you know he won that contest and just quit playing. You know, and 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 he didn't live that much longer. According to my mother, she didn't ever tell me how long a stretch, but she said he really didn't ever play the fiddle again. And they, uh, you know, and he had a little note. He had the money. I don't know if it seemed like it was about a thirty dollars or something. Quite a bit of money seemed like. And it just said, to, you know, lay him to rest. And the same, the, another thing that goes with a lot of stories like this. His watch apparently, you know, when he passed away, his watch stopped moving. And that's she swore that was true. And he had a little thing just saying, you know, uh, the uh, God given what he said on the little note was something like a God given talent shouldn't be used to, you know, make money. So what's up with that? I mean, I, I don't know. I sort of you heard that from other people. I'm sure. Well, the Hammonds family, yeah. Ed and Hammonds' father mm-hmm. was uh, what they called Uncle Pete Hammonds. Mm-hmm. And f- the story I have from when I lived in West Virginia was that he uh, was, uh, some fellows came out to where he lived on the Williams River, which mm-hmm. is right there, Webster County, Pocahontas County, pretty close to the border between those counties. Right. And he was living up there and uh, they wanted him to play. And he was the best fiddler around and they wanted him to play for some dance. And it was in the fall. Mm. A harvest dance or something. Mm-hmm. And it was on a Saturday. And he said, no, I won't. And why? well, I won't play because I know come midnight you'll want me to keep playing. I know you young people. And that's the Sabbath. And uh-huh. I know not to play. He's not going to play on that. But yeah. they kept after him and after him. And then right. he, of course, comes midnight. They promise midnight. You can close it up. But comes midnight. And yeah. they, they didn't know it was the last dance. Too much... Uh... Yeah, you know, so you, got, you have to have the last dance. So, ah. so they talk him into playing. He plays "Devil in the Woodpile." Uh-oh. That's what they asked for. That. They said, what tune you want? Play that "Devil in the Woodpile." Oh me, Pete. That's a good one, you know. So he plays the tune, and then he's walk. He walks up the river, and he had a leather strap to carry the fiddle on. And when he got inside the house, he hung it on a peg, mm-hmm. and went upstairs. And those stairs are real narrow, and got up there and got in bed with his wife and blew the lamp out. And going to sleep, you know, the house is one, two in the morning, mm-hmm. and suddenly here's the fiddle playing. Here's a fiddle playing, and it's playing Devil in the Woodpile, but not like any way you ever heard it played. And uh, he at first likes it, because he, he likes how it's being played, <laughs> but then as he wakes up, and as he, he realizes this is all wrong, and his wife's like, who's playing the fiddle? And he gets 
terrified, and he lights the lamp. And I mean, maybe I've added this, but you know, that glass globe <laughs> rattling as they will. And he goes down those narrow stairs. And according to the story, that fiddle is in the case on that strap, and it's swinging back and forth, oh. and the music coming out of the case. And he takes it and opens it up, and he put his hands on the strings and couldn't get it to stop. It kept playing. It was now loud, louder. You know, the case was open. The coals were still banked from the evening fire. Uh-oh. And he put that fiddle case and that bow and everything in there, the music playing, until it burned ashes, and the music finally stopped. Wow. And then the Hammond says, and he never played the fiddle another day in his life after that. That was it. Oh. And he was the best fiddler around. But he, he had... Played Ooh. on the Sabbath, and he'd been shown. Wow. Now that's really, you know, those kinds of stories well, are there's around. a lot of stories like that, I guess, really. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think I think there's some, there's something obviously in the fiddle. There's some seductive quality, some enchantment, some spell-casting ability. The fiddler seems to often carry this, the idea of the shaman, you know, the one who makes the dance, who oh, makes yeah. the... The love affair happened. It's powerful. Yeah, it's very powerful. Yeah, so talk about what you've seen or what you thought. think of that. Well, I think the fiddle, more than probably any other instrument that I've played, has got a real addictive quality to it. Because once I started, I remember when I got the fiddle and started playing, I'd spend hours, you know, trying to, you know, just trying to learn tunes and just more time than I should have. You know, I had other things I should be doing. And I know a lot of other people, I think, get on the fiddle and they're just can't let it go. They're working on that tune and trying to get a better tone or just wiling away the day. And it can be eight hours. You can spend five, six hours on an instrument when you first start. Any you know, really good musician, I think, has an initial time where they really, they woodshed, so to speak, in an extreme fashion. But the fiddle, I'd play the fiddle and kind of, you know, grip it. You know, I, I think I was wearing my teeth out a little bit because I was putting so much effort into it. And I learned to relax later. But uh it's just, it is a very seductive and addictive instrument, more so than any other I've ever played. And I'm not sure why, but it's it's um, it, it's very uh, ethereal. You know, you can make some very ethereal sounds on the fiddle. And the fact that you don't have frets, you know, you can get a very smooth, all the quarter, all the notes in between the basic whole tones. You know, you can get this quarter tones and microtones and all that, the slides and the swoops and the harmonics. You know, some of those fiddlers are great at getting the the bell or the chime or whatever you want to call it, which is very, you know, goosebumpy. You know, it makes you, you know, you can really, really take people to places they might want to go or they might not want to go. So I don't know. It is a powerful thing, and it makes people want to dance more than any other instrument, I think, because, you know, there used to be just solo fiddle for dances, and that's hard to pull off no matter what day and age with the with amplification or anything because you have that, the bow is the, the power there, you know, the uh, the rhythm of the bow can pretty much get you get you on the go, no doubt about it. So, But I've never never been you know as good a fiddler as I'd like to be because I'm always, as I got older and playing with other fiddlers, I ended up playing more guitar, more backup because I like the fiddler so much. The fiddle, I ended up trying to be a really good accompaniment for the fiddler. So I've ended up you know always with really good fiddlers, and I'm the backup guy more, which I love that too. It's a real art to that. And maybe I'm a little less under under the seduction of the fiddle if I'm beside it. <laughs> Maybe not wearing out my teeth so much anymore. <laughs> well, let's take a short break in the interview and listen to Carl play the fiddle on a tune that he wrote down the road.
road that beckons me to travel so far. Each second, every minute is a treasure trove of moments we all share apart. Sad parting will greet us all someday, so let's live to the fullest while we all may. Embracing each and every step on the way Till the very last beat of the heart Further down the road, that road that beckons me to travel so far. Each second, every minute is a treasure trove of moments we all share apart. Sad parting will greet us all someday, so let's live to the fullest while we all may. Embracing each and every step on the way. Till the very last beat of the heart There's a time for everything, but I think in, in music there really is kind of a... Uh, I don't know, it's almost like, a, it, a gift's a good word, I guess, but I think you kind of, if you don't expect it so much, you just kind of start relaxing, as, as the only word I can think of, and not, not anticipating anything when you're playing, like when you're playing your best music, I think sometimes you're just not thinking about anything, you're just kind of letting it happen. And I think that's kind of what happens with playing instruments, you know, you, you, I think initially when you start on anything, you're thinking way too much, you know, you're, it's just over the top of everything you're stressing yourself out just to play you know a note and then you you get past that and it becomes like a you're just in flowing in the river kind of thing you know you're just you're just going with the current and i love that about just writing songs and playing tunes when you get in that current and let it just play you that's kind of the way music works the best i think like recording is a good example going in there you got to kind of not think about recording to get you know what something that sounds good or natural and that's hard for most people, you know, it's about everybody, but I kind of, uh, I think I have a, a pretty good knack at not thinking sometimes, <laughs> which is, uh, sounds bad, but, you know, just kind of letting things disappear. That's absolutely right. So, and, and I think it's, it's a, uh, not reaching for perfection. I'm a master at that. <laughs> I've, that's my signature uh, sound, I think. Uh, oh yeah, I know that guy. Sure. I've heard him play. <laughs> and I always say to people, you know, I don't, I'm not, uh, you know, for most folks, I'm not so comfortable to make so many mistakes, but uh, you, you make me feel comfortable, so I've made more mistakes tonight, so you should feel good about that. <laughs> but I do think it's just like a weaving a garment. You know, there's going to be mistakes and blemishes is how you deal with them. Just keep going and you keep sewing, you know? 
Yeah, I think the, the, the imperfections are absolutely essential. I, I love to tell the story of uh, uh, The Twilight Zone. It was a pretty powerful show when I oh, was yeah, a kid. Sure. I loved that show. And there's the one where the guy dies and he thinks he's gone to heaven mm-hmm. and uh, everything's perfect. Everything's perfect. You know, beautiful mm-hmm. women, apartment, and, and finally he, he, he hits a, a, a cue ball in the, on, a, on a table, pool table, and every ball on the break goes in a oh, pocket. wow. And finally, he says to this guy all dressed in white, he's taken for an angel all along. He says, I think there's been a mistake. You know, I was this petty robber, and you know, I shouldn't be here. I really deserve to be in the other place. Right. And the portly fellow says, what made you think this isn't the other place? <laughs> yeah. What a truthful thing. Like, if we ever yeah. had perfection, it would be a horror. Yeah. And yet we strive for it. And maybe that's yeah. good, too. Um, but I think that's where that's a lot of that self-consciousness comes from. And the, and the fiddle, unlike I think other instruments, has a raw raw quality or nakedness to it, as it were. Yeah. When yeah. You're, you're just out there, especially if you're just playing that fiddle. Mm-hmm. Where other instruments, I don't know, they support the music in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, so many cultures have fiddle. You know, it's, uh, it's so prevalent everywhere. And I think it is just a, uh, well, just one string, you know, and one and horsehair is a pretty basic thing, but such a the, the speed of the bow and how much pressure is a lot of variables that come into play there, literally, of course. And I love that about the fiddle. I mean, it's more magical than most instruments for sure. Let's just end on you doing a rap on um, what the fiddle and this music has done for you in terms of its social life, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well. I guess initially just the, the fiddler's conventions, you know, seeing, well, just seeing a bunch of people playing the fiddle is quite a startling, you know, at the onset, you go, oh, my God, you know, there's a lot of people that do this. And, that's, you know, it is a revelation at first. And even just going to a music camp, which is much later, but seeing that people all got together in huge group and just sit around the fire and play endlessly all night. What a what an amazing thing that is. Because they say, oh, they're all trying to play this instrument. And I can sit over here a little bit behind this row and play softly, and I'll figure this out, you know. And I'll watch the people that are in the front row and know them better than I do. <laughs> and I'll hopefully be on that front row one of these days. It's kind of the way it worked, you know. And it was almost the uh, just like bluegrass music and everything. You got to, a lot of you'll go to the same festival every year, some of these folks, and as we do. And you got a year. You know, you go, especially the people that compete, you know, some of these kids that we flat pick guitars, and but the fiddlers too, they go one year and they try to play as good as so-and-so, you know, the guy at the top of the, the game, so to speak. They got a year to come back and see if they're a little better, you know, to match up to that. So that was kind of initially sort of what I just tried to get a little better. Say, can I play all those notes or get the tune right next year? You know, so, but what a wonderful, just uh, you're inspired and you have an aspiration to improve and but I just love whiling away the time playing a tune. You know, tunes are so great. And I, my main thing about fiddle and just tunes as well is just it's like a journal, you know, a journey and a journaling kind of thing. You know, you you uh, you learn a tune. It might have been 1973, and you still play that tune in uh, 2014. And I play that tune, and I remember when I learned it. I love that about a fiddle tune, and it gives me chills. Just think about it right now. I, I remember, oh, this was Fran's favorite tune, and that was Tom's sister, and she was moving to Thailand, and she loved this tune. And what, but what a great thing that is, you know, just to have such a good uh, snapshot that you can return to vividly. I love that about fiddle tunes. And wherever you go, you'll find the repertoire 
often there'll be tunes you know. You you get to sure. a house like this where you might not know people. Sure. You don't have to sit around and be awkward, have a drink, and talk about your business. Mm -hmm. You just grab an instrument and you're there. And, they have, and with kids here, it's nice to see young kids so excited about learning tunes. You can play one of these tunes, and it's the first time they've learned that tune and the start of the same journey for them. I love that about it. Thanks, Carl. Sure. That's great. That's fun. We, we covered something. Before we end our visit with Carl Jones, here's a tune that he wrote that I think gets at the heart of what it means to be a traveling musician. Aaron Marshall, his wife, plays the fiddle. Spots and lines like dots on a map Go back in time on an old tune tramp The notes climb high and the notes go low Like the rocking of a fiddle bow Where'd you come from, where'd you go? Where'd you come from, where'd you go? Where'd you come from, where'd you go? Best trim your lamp Might get a visit from the old tune tramp North or south, east or west The last tune learned, that's the one that's best you play it, you're right back there again. On a ramble, on a lark, tunes that woo and weigh the heart. You take them in and you let them flow from that stream that we all know. Where'd you come from? Where'd you go? Where'd you come from? Where'd you go? Where'd you come from? Where'd you go?
Thank you for listening to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Rosin the Bow is produced by Joe and Paula McHugh in the studios of the Raven Radio Theater in partnership with radio station WTJU-FM and the University of Virginia. Our theme music was arranged and performed by the string quartet, The Fretless. For information concerning this podcast and to listen to additional podcasts, please visit our website, rosinthebow.org. You will also find on our website information about featured music, books and recordings for sale, listener postings, and a schedule of upcoming talks and performances. We really like hearing from our listeners, so please send us an email. Thank you.